0: listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief because all children leave footprints on our hearts. to episode 25 of Footprints on Our Hearts. On today's episode, I'm talking with Will Rivera II about his experience of recurrent pregnancy loss, the struggle to get answers and male factor infertility. Will and his wife run a website and, and community called Fertility in Colour, which is specifically for black and brown women and men who are struggling with infertility and pregnancy loss and i'm really grateful for to will for speaking with me and speaking out generally about these difficult topics um i know a lot of the people i've come across um talking about uh, infertility in particular are women and to have a male perspective on it I think is is really valuable and certainly some of the statistics he shares around male factor infertility were were a big surprise to me and might be to you. I just wanted to before we go into the interview I wanted to clarify one thing so we talk a bit about chemical pregnancies And I just wanted to kind of give the official definition here, because we do talk about what it is in the podcast, um, and I'm not sure if I kind of got it quite right at my end. So um, if you're not aware, a chemical pregnancy is a very early pregnancy loss, which usually happens just after the embryo implants, which is just before or around the five-week mark. And it's diagnosed when a pregnancy is confirmed by a blood test or a home pregnancy test, but it can't be seen on an ultrasound scan. so you know you may have experienced this if you've done a pregnancy test at home. it's been positive and then you've you've had a bleed and you may even think it's your period or something arriving late, but it could also be a chemical pregnancy. So I just wanted to to clarify that um, and be perfectly clear. Also, before we get into the podcast, I've got something exciting to announce, or I think it's exciting anyway, it's exciting to me. (laughs) So for the past year, um, since after a few months after Sky died, I've been involved with a group of people locally to create a baby memorial garden in West Yorkshire around the Bradford area. And there've been various problems. I don't know if this is the case across the country, but I know it is the case in Bradford where... There are challenges in terms of cemeteries and sort of what is done to to babies' resting places and, and graves in in those cemeteries, whether it's sort of vandalism or perhaps um lack of consultation about changes to arrangements. And I think that's upset a lot of parents locally. So the baby memorial garden is completely separate from that. It's not, you know, it's not a place where where babies will be buried at all Um, it's just a nice peaceful quiet place for parents to go and think about their children it's been slow but steady progress so far it started off as a very uneven pile of dirt and grasses up to I think your shoulder height or something and it's still pretty much a pile of dirt but we have carved out a few nice areas into it and although we're putting in all the sort of leg and arm work ourselves, we're now at the stage where we really need to raise a bit of money for plants and other materials. Um, we're doing it on a kind of budget model, but even then, you know, unfortunately things do cost money. And because of COVID and lockdown this year, all our fundraising plans have pretty much been scuppered for the foreseeable future. So our target date for to get it completed is next year but we would like to get something in place particularly for baby loss awareness week this year if you follow me on instagram you'll know that for sky's birthday i created a memory stick for each of the babies featured on the podcast and hung them in a tree in yorkshire and this was just something i decided to do it was a one-off project to kind of celebrate her birthday, but I did really enjoy creating the sticks and engraving all the baby's names and and messages onto them. So I've decided to do some more, but this time I would really like to personalise them for parents um, and send them to people so you can choose whether you want to hang it in your house or your garden or somewhere else special to you where people might walk past and And see, you know, your baby's name and remember them. And they are, they're completely natural materials, although I probably will varnish these. Uh, That might be a preference if you want it to be a bit more long lasting. Um, But otherwise, they're, they're completely natural. So, you know, they can be carried away by the wind or waves or whatever in time and it won't cause any environmental damage. I will put a couple of photos on the podcast website so you can see what they look like if you're not on Instagram. Um, But yeah, they're made made from natural sticks with Hessian hessian hanging material and they can be engraved with your baby's name and either a birth date or a short message on the back. If you would be interested or would like to buy one for yourself or for a friend, you can email me at allison at Footprints on Our Hearts or message me on Instagram. The name sticks will cost £8, including UK postage. And all the money other than the postage costs will be used to buy plants and materials to make the garden beautiful and just give a special place really for bereaved parents in Bradford to come and think about their babies. So I will be, uh, just a word of warning, (laughs) I'm not expecting to be swamped by uh, orders, but I will be doing these on top of my normal work and podcasting. So unfortunately, I can't guarantee next day delivery, but I will try and do a fast turnaround as I possibly can. So yeah, if you're interested in that or would like to learn more, you can check out the photos on Instagram or the podcast website um, and email me if you would like one. Right, let's get on with this week's episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by Will, who with his wife, Suissa, runs Fertility in Colour, a platform that advocates and represents unexplained infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss from a Black perspective. Welcome to the podcast, Will, and thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me.
1: Thank you, Alison. It's a
0: pleasure for me to be here. So today we're going to talk a lot about infertility and loss particularly from a dad's perspective which I'm really excited about because I certainly haven't had um, a dad or a guy talking about um, infertility and I only had one talking about recurrent pregnancy loss so um, I think there are a lot of listeners who's going to be interested in your story. Could you start by taking us right back to the beginning of your journey when you and your wife first started thinking about starting a family, and what was going through your mind at that point?
1: Okay, yeah. So my wife and I, we've we've got sort of a storybook um, start to our relationship. So I'll, I'll I'll fast forward through that where we were friends in high school or friends in middle school. I'm sorry, um, did went through high school as best of friends, started to date um, for a few years or from sorry for a year, so or so. That didn't work out to our dismay. And then we uh, separated for about four years and came back together uh, in December of 2012. We're engaged in the beginning of 2014, married by July of 2014, and so began having the conversations on family planning the following year in 2015. Um, We knew we wanted to spend a little while uh, just to be newlyweds and to to relearn each other and so I want to say it was about end of summertime, July, August timeframe of 2015. We said, we were at the beach and we said, you know what, let's, let's start our family. Let's, let's you know, it feels right. The timing is appropriate. We know our story. We know how much we love each other. We just, let's, let's do this. This is the next step. And so come December 2015, we had our first loss. We had just, uh, she had told me before we went on vacation, it was a delayed honeymoon. And so... Um, I remember the day she told me like it was yesterday. Uh, I won't go through that, but we come back from vacation and went straight to a doctor's appointment. Uh, at that point, we saw that there was a, um, well, during the ultrasound, there was no heartbeat. And I can remember the doctor's facial expression and it was an eerie silence in the room and I can see the nervousness or anxiousness building up my wife on the table. And I'm sitting there. I don't know what I'm looking at or what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to see. I just know I feel something off. Right. And I'm, so I'm trying to, I see my wife looking at me and I'm trying to stay calm. Um, and a few minutes later, she, the doctor does say, ask my wife to, um, get dressed and let's go meet me in my office. And she explains to us that, that she did not see a heartbeat. And so that was, Traumatic and, and just jaw dropping all at once. Um, and
0: was that the first appointment that your wife had had with the doctor in terms of the pre- this pregnancy?
1: Yes. So she and she told me shortly before uh, she had taken the pregnancy test. She told me shortly before vacation we had already planned. So when we arrived, it was supposed to be the eight week um, appointment, and so. The, um, our child was only like, it was only the size of about six weeks and six weeks and four days. Um, and so that was, but she, my, my wife continued to feel the symptoms and signs of pregnancy. So we were so, we were so thrown off and it was such a, it was such a challenge for us to really piece together what the doctors were saying. So we even actually went to a second opinion after that doctor, um, and did some blood work in the process. And so they confirmed it and, it was frustrating cause that first OB was the bedside manner was, was non-existent, to say the least. So she was very, very abrupt, very firm. Um, and I understand that's difficult news to tell a patient. However, the, the shining light or the silver lining was the doctor we did see that did the confirmation, the second opinion. He was uh, amazing, so gentle, so kind. And so we dealt with that. The best way we could, which was myself. I went back to work the very next day. Um, my wife wasn't working at the time. So she stayed home and, and just, and wept and mm-hmm. sat in, in her, her sorrow. And I was, I went to defense mode. So that actually happened. Um, that was December of 2015, actually in our, our next uh, loss was in January of 2017. And so for both of those instances, my immediate response was, get back to work. Let's get things back in normal. It was, it was partly in a way of defense of her to say, you know what, you feel this in a different way than I feel this. So not that I don't feel, but one of us needs to bring things back to normal. And I can't possibly expect for you to do this uh, and so I will take care of everything, right? So it was, I was grocery shopping, taking care of all the bills and, and everything and just to allow her her space to grieve and process, totally being naive to the fact that I was, I was there, but I wasn't there. So I was there physically, but I wasn't sharing in the emotional trauma or emotional grief, I'm sorry, and, and coping process but it was. I felt in my mind that there was no time for it. And I, looking at back at it now, right hindsight is twenty twenty. I realized it was my inability to understand the the full magnitude of what was happening. And so, in order for me to not have to deal, I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. And so it wasn't until our loss in twenty seven or later in twenty seventeen in September, where uh, we experienced our loss on my birthday, and so. It's less of the fact that it was on my birthday, but more so it's that 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 was the moment where my my mind and my heart aligned and it was like pump the brakes. This is bad. Like now, now this is a this is a different level of hurt that I don't know I've ever experienced. And so it was traumatic in one sense to see her struggle again and know that she felt disappointed and, and started to go down the path of like, I I why did this have to happen on your, on your day, right? Where's a day we're supposed to celebrate life and we have to mourn a loss of another child. And so this, this one was particularly also painful because a couple of days prior we had actually seen a heartbeat. So I remember that appointment like it was yesterday and the excitement. Now I knew what to look for, right? So now I'm.
0: And I think that must've become more real for you then as well. Cause I know my, my husband felt like, you know, we all like the, Because you don't have the baby growing inside you, because you don't feel those symptoms, and obviously in the early stages of pregnancy, you know your wife isn't even showing necessarily, so it it, it perhaps feels a bit of abstract. But then you see that heartbeat on the screen, and you're like, actually, that is a person. That that is our baby.
1: I tell you what, I saw that fluttering heartbeat, and the joy I I felt was indescribable. It was like this is what it feels like. This is the excitement that we're supposed to feel. That we didn't get. we, We missed out twice now. And so, you know, it was it was. We were on cloud nine. We even actually go, went gone to a fair later that day and had one of those cartoon caricatures created of us <laughs> with a baby bump, even though she was still so early on. And so we were just that excited. We were we we're, were faithful people, and we said, you know what, we're not going to make this grandiose announcement, but we're gonna, you know, we're faithful that this is it. This is our time. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, that that following was believe it was the following day was the loss and so we were both at home and she she had gone that that afternoon saying something didn't feel right and my wife knows her body very well and I've learned that a lot about her is that it's amazing to me how a woman can know her body so well and so I we were you know we we touched it a little bit every now and again but it's like we didn't want to say it and then once we saw the signs again we didn't we didn't speak it we just took some deep breaths we called the emergency on-call doctor and went to the doctor the next morning for them to confirm and so thankfully the, again at this point we prior to this we hadn't had any they were the first care, miscarriage was uh, missed miscarriage the second loss was a, a chemical pregnancy and now this one we saw the heartbeat and everything so we were able to actually take what the the, the sample of our, our child and or this the sac and have it tested. And so up to this point as well, we had, it, it, there was no explanation for why we we're experiencing what we were experiencing. And so this came back with trisomy 22. Um, and we, this, this loss was our baby sky. Um, and so uh, that was, it was, it was nice to have an answer, right? Mm-hmm. But it was also, uh, it was still painful. It's like, you want to know, but you don't, but it's better to know and then to not.
0: Yeah. And and can I ask, did that sort of diagnosis explain any of your other losses or was that kind of very unique to that baby?
1: (laughs) So we found out later on is this was unique to to this child. And we found out later on that a doctor has stated that he felt, I can't say he said he felt confident, but he felt fairly certain that the previous two pregnancies were in similar situations, but there was no way he could definitively tell us. So we still don't have a definitive answer to that question. And um, we actually don't even seek it, to be honest. Um, We had two more losses, um, one in 2018 and one in the beginning of 2019. Um, The one in mid 2019, my wife didn't even go to the doctor. She just knew. And so... um, at that point, she knew her, knowing her body so well, it was we knew, we knew what happened, and so that's where we are right now. To this point, we've we are still in the undiagnosed or or I'm sorry, unexplained realm where the doctors cannot pinpoint something specifically. We've done countless um, blood tests. We've done other well, and actually, they've all been blood tests for, for the most part. Um, to try to pinpoint what we've experienced. And so we've got some answers, but still not nearly enough. I think that makes us feel comfortable to proceed forward with even trying to conceive again. We're not giving up hope. We haven't given up hope, and we are confident we're going to have children. It's just that's where we stand right now in terms of we're still unexplained. Um, The last probably year or so, um, I've started going to the doctor more. And so I've done my own semen analysis. I've done actually a couple of semen analysis with some DNA fragmentation testing as well. And so both have come back with abnormalities or higher than uh, average um, fragmentation. Uh, the doctors still, both urologists, they're two separate urologists, could not, again, pinpoint and say definitively that these, my numbers, were the sole cause or a cause at all. But they can't, again, they can't give me a definitive answer. And so here we are, and both now are unexplained circumstances not understanding um what the cause is and and why we haven't been able to carry full term so
0: could you just um again for the benefit of listeners who may not know explain what a chemical pregnancy is
1: if i understand correctly a chemical pregnancy is where you've experienced the you show symptoms and you can produce a positive pregnancy test However, um, taking another test in um, shortly thereafter, you show then as if you were never or your numbers sort of drop back down to normal as if you were never pregnant. Um,
0: it, so, I, yeah, I think, and I, and again, I'm no expert. I think, from my understanding, it's when you have all the symptoms of pregnancy, but there there isn't actually an an embryo, a sort of correct, living embryo cor- there.
1: Correct.
0: Yeah, um, and there are all oh, there's all these different types of like pregnancy and you learn don't you and you don't know about before yeah
1: um
0: I don't know what the situation is in the states when it comes to kind of recurrent loss or miscarriage but from in the UK people I've spoken to basically you don't really get any investigation until you've had three miscarriages up till that point it's just like and and literally, people are getting to the stage where they're almost like, "Oh, can we just get the third miscarriage done so we can have some tests and things done?" And yeah, obviously, parents want you know they want answers from the beginning. So I don't know how how does that differ to the states, and how did um, sort of doctors and medical professionals treat you? I guess while you're you're kind of trying to go through these tests and find out what what's happening.
1: So it's very similar in the US. I've I know there are instances now where. Um, I believe there's there's they're between the two to three losses, but I know at the time, the majority of our, our loss journey, it's been the numbers, been three losses before they can, you know, they start quote unquote an investigation. And so for, for our process, right. if I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking back on it now. I chuckle because it's like, you don't, you, you realize how much you've grown and how much, how far you've gone in such a, what feels like such a short time, but when you're in it, it feels like it's a lot longer. So, for us, the first lo- first two losses, you know, the excuse was, "Listen, this happens to a lot of people. It's more common than you think." Um, I suggest keep trying to conceive naturally. And I, I always, and I do want to make a note too for those that are listening that when I speak of conceiving naturally, I don't mean to sound insensitive or I know because I know there are many people that don't have that opportunity, and so I don't share it lightly. And I sure sh- I don't share that or don't say it in a way of, of hopefully triggering or feeling coming off insensitive um, because on one sense, I, I do know that it's, it is painful. Um, and for us, we can conceive naturally, but we still haven't come to full term. So it's kind of like it to me, it's even, it's like a punch in the gut. It's like, you know, you can do this, you know, as your body was created to, to you know, you ideally on a typical basis function yet you can't, you know, carry full term. So I do want to put that disclaimer out there. Um, and so for us, again, the, the doctors were saying, keep trying. This happens to a lot of people, you know, and you get tired of hearing that. And after the third, we we teetered with seeing at that point an IVF specialist. And so we went to a fertility clinic. Up to this point, we we're predominantly dealing with um, an OB, OBGYN. And so at that point, he recommended us and in that consultation, the doctor at the time said you guys are still young um, you're healthy I can't see anything wrong with you I don't think ivF is for you right now and so I would suggest continue to try um, and so that's what we did two more two more losses later you know it's here we are and so while I feel like and there may be we have actually gone back to a fertility on ivF we had the conversation and we were probably... I want to say five to 10 minutes away from signing that final line that said, we want to proceed with this. However, both my wife and I felt at the time where it's like, listen, we still don't, you still can't explain to me why we're having our losses or why we're experiencing this loss. And understanding the IVF is very helpful and helps a, a lot of people start and build their families. There's still no guarantee that we will not experience loss again. And so before we make this investment, in our family we feel more comfortable if we have more answers and so even at that point we had to request another follow up with the the fertility specialist and we've gone down to two fertility clinics both trying to pull us steer us in that direction and again we're not against it we just feel like there's we we still need a little bit more of an answer as to understand so um, that's that's where we are in terms of the investigation piece, but I don't feel, and I I know my wife would feel the same way. I don't feel that there's been one doctor in particular that has gone above and beyond to say, I want to help you on this process, in this journey, except for one doctor that we had to, that we we learned of, or my wife learned of through going to a seminar um, for Black women and sharing their stories of fertility who Then there was a doctor there who mentioned, who mentioned this fertility specialist, and who's located in New York, which is only two hours away. However, this the entire five years of or four and a half five years of trying, we had not heard of once. And so he is the only one. And if you if you check out our. our Um, our site there's some links we did an interview with him actually for some of the groundbreaking things he's doing in the fertility world but he's the only one that sat us down and said I feel your losses I feel this for you I'm with you let's work and walk through this process and come up with a plan together Um, the only one after five losses
0: and that I mean that must make a a huge difference just to you know to your whole experience and I think you know medical professionals whether you're going through infertility you know miscarriage stillbirth whatever it just makes such such difference having someone who's supportive I remember I was listening to a podcast interview not one of mine with someone else the other day a lady who had um had multiple losses she'd had a loss at uh, a sort of neonatal loss and further losses and she said that her consultant said to her Before I retire, you will take home two babies. I will make sure you take home your babies. And just that level of empathy and care for what someone, you know, a human being is going through, I think can make such a massive difference to your experience. And this might be a little bit of a loaded question, but do you feel that? either from your own experience or others, you know, other people who you've come across and talked to in your community, do you feel like, um, black and Brown people are treated differently by medical professionals in the infertility world? And if so, why do you think that is?
1: So this is, this is a tough one, right? Because it's tough for two reasons. One, it's hard for me now understanding what I understand of certain medical statistics. So for example, I feel. Uh, I think. I believe it's the CDC, right? They, they did a test or a study that showed, showed that Black women were two to three more times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women, right? And there are they've actually done. You can find this information right on the it's CDC. It's
0: five times more likely in the UK. I looked up. Yeah, I was absolutely shocked when I saw that statistic. Absolutely mind
1: blowing, right? And so when I look at when I look at that statistic, I have to also include myself in that. Um, so my wife and I are biracial. So I am I am of Hispanic descent. Um, my ethnicity is predominantly from Puerto Rico. My wife is actually born in the UK. Um, so she will call. She considers herself Black British. She calls herself. And so I have to believe that Black and Brown men and women are treated differently. So we've heard. So from our perspective, looking at it, we we could probably try to find something that was very blatant. But I think underlying is through everything is the fact that why haven't we had the, why did it take so long to find a doctor that would actually walk with us through, the, through our process? Um, why was it immediate, you know, jump to IVF? I, I feel like even in the conversations of the cost of IVF, there's certain levels of communication where it's like, well, you know, and again, this could be, I'm, I'm speaking totally right now, um, transparently, right? So there could have been instances where, oh, you know, immediately jump to, um, what's the word? Um, Where you, I can't add a mind blank there, but where some like financing for IVF, um, those types of conversations, or, you know, you get told like, well, make sure your credit's okay and all this, and I'm like, you know, it's already bad enough we're there. I don't want to be in that conversation, but you have to start thinking that there are some disparities. We've heard stories of countless women For example, who have shared, and I say women because women are more apt to share than than men oftentimes. And so we've heard more stories of women sharing that, you know, my doctors, and I'm in a doctor's office with predominantly white doctors and, you know, nurse practitioners and everyone who are, they're not, I feel like you have to pull the, the answers out of them. You have to pull all this information. And I don't feel like that I would have to do that if I wasn't a black woman. Right. And so, um, even, even seeing some of the OBs, like, again, I can, I can probably circle back. I have to believe with the statistics that there is some biases there that do play a part in the infertility world, and so I'm not naive to it. I've, every doctor's appointment we go to, we are very hyper aware of the circumstances. Even, all right, I even share a story from my last uh, urologist appointment where there was a. A resident who took us in and i just felt like everything was very short everything was very um as as if he didn't do his homework and it's like listen you know doctor i am not here and it was it was a two and a half hour drive to get to see him right so i'm not here for <laughs> to rehash my story with you if you did if you had me fill out this 30 page questionnaire right and it, it, things were so rushed and so abrupt and it was like I, I felt like it was like, are you looking at me the same as you would look at every other patient? Um, and so, unfortunately, again, knowing the statistics that I know, I, I go into it with a, a level of defense, um, and I try not to show it, but I, I think it's real. And you hear that, that I, I'm blown away by the statistics, right, for the black for black women specifically. So,
0: mm. and I think so, yeah, I think so much of it comes down to as well you having to, I guess, you then have to advocate for yourself oh yes and then that comes down to you know what type of person you are because some people are i guess happier doing that and other people just naturally uh more willing to be perhaps led by health professionals you know accept what they're told you know and if you're not told about the higher risk of certain conditions or uh, things like that then then how are you supposed to know or you know take exactly. any action and know
1: what to look for well you you right so we're we're taught from a very young age that your doctor is the one to guide you through this through anything medic- medical related right so when you come into it you're you are programmed to trust what the doctor said right the doctors spend an enormous amount of time in studies right they're there they go through all this education they they are part of many of them are part of research teams and, and all this and so when they tell you something you you would think you can take that word for it, but we found that this was sorely, sorely mistaken. This is not the case at all. And so thankfully we're, we're both advocates for one another. And I, I know I've mentioned my wife a lot is because I admire the fact that she's gone out and, and really fought, right? So while I was in my defense mode and trying to keep things as quote unquote normal as possible, she spent her time as she battled through grief doing a ton of research. And so she's educated me a, a, a significant amount. And, you know, we even had to find to, to fight to get a uh, a doctor to perform a hysteroscopy. And they they man, they pushed back so hard and they finally agreed to do it and go figure. We, we found to have endometritis. And so, again, mm-hmm. we had to fight so hard to just get that. And that, and that was that that was our, our our middle ground. That was where we settled. Right. And so now we get to the point where, listen, doctor, you're going to do this blood work that we're asking for or not. And if you're not, then that's fine. Just just tell us up front so we don't even have to go any further. Right. So it's, it's, it hurts to know that you have to fight so much for yourself on the one hand. I know doctors see many patients, you know, throughout their, their day, throughout their week, throughout their career. Um, but at the same time, we're not just a number. We're not just, you know, we're not just names on a piece of paper. This is our family you're talking about. And if you're not going to take it serious, then we will take it serious and we will go above and beyond whatever we have to do for our family. And that's the part where we're looking at it. Like we don't feel bad if a doctor gets offended or we want to change um, specialists because this is our family, right? And that doctor is not going to care once we leave that office about us. And so again, uh, back to the doctor that we met, the specialist in New York, he's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been email exchange was instantaneous phone calls and everything. So there's a. I know it's possible. I do know mm-hmm. it's possible, but unfortunately, it's it seems to be not the norm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, and I think, and I do feel that once you've suffered loss of whatever type, then you realize that doctors don't have all the answers, and right. you know you do. I think you you are perhaps more likely to kind of push and ask questions, and you know I am not a very pushy person generally. You know I'm, and you know the. I hate the thought of offending people. So like switching a doctor or whatever, saying, no, I don't want you. I'm going to go to someone else. I find that really hard on a personal it, uh,
1: I, level. I, I, you know, I used to be the same way. I used to be the same way. I'm like, they, they, you know, this is something that, it's, it's an awkward conversation, right? And it's like, you know what? we've, It's not worth sitting in that pain and in that darkness and thinking we're going to go back to the same appointment and sit with the same doctor who's not willing to help us. And so, you know, it, it's again. There have been some dark times. I'm not going to lie to you. There's been some times where, for me, there's been anger, frustration, um, pain, sorrow, all of the above. And and I, when when I'm sitting in a doctor's office now, I reflect back on that, and I'm like, no, I'm. This is I'm a dad, right? These are my children. That these are this is my wife. This is my family. And um, excuse me, but I'll be damned if you're not going to do what you know everything in your power to help us, right? In in this in this circumstance, right? There's no way anyone should get to five losses and still be having to fight so hard, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's frustrating. But at the same time, the silver lining is we're passionate. We've developed this passion for fighting for ourselves and fighting to help others, mm-hmm. because you know to even walk people, like you said, you said, walk people through the process of saying, hey, you know, doctor. I'm I'm sorry, but I feel like I want to seek another opinion, right? And so they may take it personally, but it's not personal. But this is your life and this is your family. And so I think you have every right to fight for it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think just kind of moving, well, moving on or going into a little bit more detail um, about some of, I guess, the the tests and explorations that you've been through personally, I think it's because it's still the case, um, obviously wrongly, that people who don't have experience of infertility and loss perhaps consider it a women's problem. And often the mother feels this massive amount of, you know, guilt at the fact that their, their body is not performing as it should do and not, not you know, bearing children as, as, um, as women are supposed to do. And obviously that's, you know, that's not the case. But I know from you know my own experience and the kind of i guess the instagram bubble i'm in most of the people talking about infertility and loss are women yeah so from i guess uh, and certainly some of the statistics you've shared about male infertility on your instagram account that is certainly not the case and and they actually surprised me so could you perhaps talk a bit more about this and yeah. about i guess some of the the process you've both gone through in terms of seeing this as a, as a joint issue, I guess, rather than something that has to be done to your wife.
1: No, for sure. So the, the best statistic I can give, right. Is male factor infertility is, um, I think it's about, it's about, actually it is not, I think it's about 40% of the reasons for a couple experiencing infertility. Right. So the male factor is almost half of the time a cause, And so, That when I saw that, and and it's it's difficult because I because I have not been diagnosed. I am I'm I'm almost self-diagnosing, but I know that my my semen analysis results both times have yielded results that have been caused or have been found to have caused um, pregnancy loss. And I I try not to use the word miscarriage because it miscarriage I feel like is negative connotation that makes it seem as though it's the woman or partner's fault and it's pregnancy loss I feel like softens it a little bit where it's like it's not something you did you didn't you didn't drop the ball so to speak right no pun intended this is something that happened to you you didn't do anything to cause this right and so with such a staggering percentage like the 40 percent there's the one hand where even in our circumstance, again, I, I can recall, like it was yesterday, the OB saying, you know, when well, we brought up the question of, should I get tested? Should, and my wife was like, should my husband start? And, and the doctor like, you know what? Again, you guys are able to conceive. I don't think there's any, there's no reason for me to believe it's the male factor, right? And I, and I remember sitting there accepting that, but feeling this little tug inside where it's like, that's that doesn't seem right. And I let it go because again, you want to trust your doctors. And so- here we are now both having unexplained diagnosis, right? So, my wife has had some blood work that I've again, she had the endometritis, but she had a biopsy and, and took some antibiotics to treat that. But now, there's, there's she's still found to have some uh, inflammation after talking to him in a reproductive immunologist. And now, my two tests again have yielded inconclusive results. I have one urologist that um, I will not name, but he's frustrated me because of his. His answers and saying, "Well, it just happens, and sometimes there's gray areas in medicine, right? And that's that's almost a direct quote. There are gray areas in medicine, and I don't know what I can tell you. That's what I've been told, almost verbatim. And so, for the male perspective, even if whether you're dealing with the un, an undiagnosed cause, right, or a diagnosed, now you have the reality setting in, right? So now you have the male, and, and this I. I'm going to say this with an asterisk. You have the male ego, you have male pride, you have the machismo, right? Where we're naturally, again, we're brought up, we're raised, we're told that we have to be strong, we have to be leaders, that we can't show pain, we can't show fear, you know, we can't possibly be the problem. And then if you find out that you are the cause of your inability to bring children into this world, that is beyond devastating. What do you do with that? Because you're not, that's not. A conversation you have as a child that's not a conversation that's talked about, so now you're not being raised to, to feel okay in dealing with this situation. You're then now dealing with your own fleshly, you know, angst where it's like, well, you know what, there's denial, and I've and I and I think that's a real thing. And at first, I, I know of men that said, I didn't want to believe it, I of course, I didn't want to believe it. It's taking me years to even start to understand and, and accept the fact that I am. The cause of our losses or our inability to to conceive, and then you have there were even moments in my own journey where it's like, okay, well I'm higher. I started to believe, and the focus was all on my wife. So it's like, you know, I'm just, babe, I'll be ready when you need me. You know, that's that mindset. (laughs) And it's, I say it in jest, soon for you know, so to speak. But it's like, man, if I had known this, if we had gone and got testing sooner, maybe there could. I mean, because there's there are ways to help with male factor infertility, fertility. Um, I'm still learning this and again, having more recently, haven't been exp- having an unexplained diagnosis still, but I think it's, it's such a, it's such an awkward place to be because then women are the, the, the main focus, even on my page, fertility and color men, most of my followers are women. And thankfully mm-hmm. I've had other women that share with their spouses who may not have social media. And so they've reached out to me directly. Um, and so that's that's been great. And there's, you know, we actually, I just was part of a men's, like a support group, through one of the fertility clinics that we that we went to, that we were a part of, where we were patients of at one point. So you're, you see, you know, a small handful, but we're we're overlooked, right? We're disregarded. And I don't say that again to take anything away from any mom out there, right? There's nothing that can replace the physical emotional mental angst that a mom has to go through the men we can't take that we don't experience that physical trauma right there's nothing if I can go back in time I would take I would give anything to go back and take that physical pain away from my wife but now that I know what I know I've looked at things completely differently and and, and now I just want to share with men to that, that that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay that if if you if there's something going on with you or if you haven't been tested, to go get tested. There's, there's no shame in it, right? If anything else, it gives you an answer. You either, you're either fine, or then there may be something you can work on. But it, I don't know. I, I I may be speaking from a biased perspective because again, I've it, while I don't necessarily like going to a urologist for just the, who does the read, right. <laughs> I. I I I, it, I look I look past myself, right? I look past the fact that it's not about me. This is about us and our and our children. And so I owe it to them from now to do what I can. And I I just have to keep reminding myself of that because yeah, I, my my ego will step in and say, you know what? No, you're not going to go get a test. No, you don't want to see the result. And it's like I got to get past myself, and that was hard. That took years to really accept. Like I got to get past myself here and. You know, I I procrastinated certain times. My my wife will tell you I procrastinated to submit my results. Oh, even this even analysis itself, I refused to do it in the doctor's office. I I said I feel more comfortable at home. So I've got a hilarious story of me you know providing my sample in a cup, flying to the doctor's office to get it there within a half hour, um, to make sure it was okay to not have to go through that process again. But it, it you know you, we did what we had to do, and and so. For all men, it's like we I see you, we see you and we, you deserve to be seen by more professionals that deal with infertility Are in this infertility world.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And I do think, you know, I do think a lot of it comes down to this cultural notion of shame on both sides, yeah. but, but probably even sort of more so for this, you know, for for guys who are supposed to be the you know strong protectors and all all of that nonsense mm. um and i think perhaps while things are slowly changing for for women and it's becoming you know infertility is being talked about more and pregnancy loss is being talked about more um you know more widely men are still quite silent you know and and are left out of out of that conversation and I know, and I guess part of it is I. I know my so my guest on the podcast episode which has just gone out, Nick. Um, he was talking about how he set up a football team for mm. uh, for bereaved dads and, and grandfathers well, to come together, and he said that that one of the reasons, and I think this is true, is that you know. Men don't really want to go along to support groups necessarily and they're not necessarily on social media and they don't necessarily connect in the same way that the women do, because we have quite, you know, obviously speaking, very generically, <laughs> different different ways we socialise and interact. And he said that, you know, they go along to football matches and they they train, they go to the pub, and they don't they don't necessarily talk about loss or they don't necessarily talk about their children, but they know they've got that connection, so they form those bonds so that. They can get in touch with each other, you know, perhaps more privately, or you know, if it's one of their children's birthdays, they can sort of, you know, they'll touch base and say, you know, how are you doing? And I guess perhaps it's just—it's almost a different way, maybe that men need to to find to, to to sort of come together and create that community. I don't know if that makes any sense. Obviously, I'm talking as a woman, so
1: <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. And I'm I'm very glad that you said his name was Nick. Correct? Yeah, I'm so glad that he did that because, see, men. I've been I focus on the hashtag men grieve different right Mm. so once you get it doesn't say we don't feel it doesn't mean we don't uh, you know we don't experience the the pain that a woman does even if it's to a fraction of it right we just have a different way of showing it and so whether we don't understand how to handle it or not that's you know that's on an individual basis but I know for me, before we officially launched Fertility and Color for Men, I had a friend of mine that was actually a really good friend said, Hey, listen, I had two really good friends in two different instances, not too far apart from one another, stopped me and said, Listen, I heard your story a little bit. And listen, we went through something very similar. And just, if you never need anything, I'm here. And that's it. That's all I needed to hear. Where it was, I was such an amazement. I'm like, Wow. The relief that came from that, because you feel alone. You feel like you're already keeping it to yourself, right? Because we're not, you know, I'm not standing, even with social media, I'm not standing outside with a billboard that says, you know, we've experienced five losses, right? And it's, and so to just have a, a fellow man say, basically, I'm, I'm with you and I'm walking through this with you, that's all I needed to, to hear. And now when we hang out, we don't talk about it. You know, we we acknowledge it's a different acknowledgement me on our Father's Day, or I'll I'll say one day, hey, listen, we had doctor's appointment today, It didn't go well. Just sometimes I'll say, hey, just keep me in prayer. Like it's, it's it's a it's a tough one, or yeah, we'll just hang out and we just know it's the unspoken thing. It's like that's why I love sports because there's nothing like a camaraderie on a football team. On I so I love um, American football and I love baseball. All right, so baseball though was my I call it my first love. Where there's a camaraderie there that you just can't replicate anywhere else. And so when you're in a group of men that you all share the same walk, so to speak, you don't have to share it out loud, right? You know what you know, and just the fact that you're not alone will do wonders for the healing process, for the coping process. And, you know, it doesn't mean again we're not emotional beings, but that sometimes is just enough to fill the tank, to feel okay, with not being okay. Because guess what? You may be in a room full of men who are all not okay at one point, right? So again, it's that feeling of unity. And again, not to say that I don't share and feel supported by my wife, because that's my best friend. So we, we've we been through the trenches and we, she knows exactly how I feel, but it's different. The same She'll say the same thing for me, where it's like, yeah, I know you're with me in the appointments. I know you're walking me through this, but it's different when I'm with a group of women that have felt the pain, have gone through it and felt that. Right, and it, so we understand one another, and to even if it's just meet in a pub to meet somewhere to, you know, play a quick pickup game, that's that's enough. Um, it was, we don't need anything super extravagant, right? We just want to know, and that's why I share. It's like listen, I want to share so that way you know I have. I'm at a point now where there's still sometimes a discomfort, but I share openly so that um, another man can know that he's not alone. And I don't, I don't ask for anything or expect anything in return. Just the fact that you know that you're not in this by yourself. And so I know that's been helpful for me.
0: Yeah. And I find, and I do wonder if some of it comes down to, I don't know, there's this whole thinking that there's one way to grieve, isn't there? And almost trying to maybe push men into this same pathway of dealing with it as you do with women. So like, I don't know go and speak to a counsellor and, yeah. and sometimes that can be helpful i think um or you know go to your local you know support group this charity or whatever that we have in the uk but i think where the the sands united and actually there's the teams all over the country in the uk now that have been started up mm-hmm. i think it just it it gives that more specific um yeah that specific environment i guess which cater specifically for what for what yeah. you need, rather than trying to force you down this path of talking about your feelings and opening your. Exactly, you're right. yeah.
1: Everything is you have you have to find what works for you, right? So this everyone we could all share similar stories, but our walk is our walk, right? And so you have to find what works. So I know for me. I, I am still in the process of well now that I've, I've recently moved cross country I, I do feel that I, I want to speak to a counselor um, and that's a personal choice from for this fertility journey and for just a personal you know personal gain that's a personal choice that it's taken me some time to come to that conclusion but I, that's where I've landed um, I know that's not for everyone or I went to a support group where the patient advocate that was leading the group looked at me straight faced and said, why are you here outside of your wife dragging you? And I corrected her very lovingly and said, my wife did not drag me here. I wanted to be here. And if I use that example further on, it's one, it was helpful for me to share outwardly. And it was it was a couple's session. And so I can see the discomfort in the men in the room. Um, and some of them, some of them were actually well, more open than I would have ever anticipated. Others, were more, that wasn't the majority, right? So <laughs> me being able to share and to just, outwardly it felt so such a relief um but even in that circle i was the we were the only minorities so there were no other black and brown and that we went maybe through six or seven sessions and the entire time there was only at max two other brown couples and you know in a room full of um at least at some point sometimes 10 or more and sometimes you know eight to nine couples so that's another piece to it right where there's a cultural aspect to things. So there's the cultural societal aspect where you can gather together in a pub, but then there's the cultural piece where as a uh, black man or Hispanic man, culturally, the stereotype is we are very fertile and we can have tons of kids. Right. And it's sad, but that's, that's just the culture that we live in. And I'm not sure if how it is in the UK, but I have to imagine to a degree, right. It's, it's very similar. And so, You don't want to share even more because now you feel like a failure like wait a second as me speaking from a a latin um a latinx perspective yeah that you don't hear many men at all i still you know what have not found any open openly sharing (laughs) hispanic men sharing their story on loss um so and
0: i think yeah and i think something that's kind of struck me and i was thinking about this sort of before and i was thinking about talking to you that when there are a lot of voices speaking out about an issue it's it's easier to add your voice to that call and I feel like certainly in the baby loss community in the UK we we're kind of getting there particularly around women some more more men as well Mm. but um, you know it's kind of easier to talk out to speak out about these things because you see other people doing it whereas it must be so hard to be that first person or one of the first people to to kind of take that step and and speak out about it. so I, I feel like it's really amazing that that you have been able to do that and I do I hope that it does inspire others to to follow suit whether that's speaking out publicly or even just you know amongst their own their own family or their friendship group in in their kind of personal lives and I guess you, you've kind of you have touched on this a bit already but just in case there's anything you want to add um my sort of final question was why did you and your wife decide to speak out about your experiences speak up and uh, sort of set up this platform and what do you feel are some of the the sort of specific challenges facing black and brown men who experience infertility and pregnancy loss
1: yeah, so despite the the pain that we were going through early on, we we were we had this overwhelming feeling together. So we felt it individually, and then we shared it together. Whereas, like our our story will help other people, right? We I believe everything happens for a reason, and so whether I understand it or not, I trust what I go through. And I, I we both have servant and helper hearts where we want to just help other people as best we can. And if we can, what better story to use than your own, right? And so. It did take us three years to share. Um, it took us a while. We had, but we had to go through our own grieving process. I think it's harder to try to grieve and then help other people at the same time, right? I think you lose yourself a little yeah, bit, sure. and so yeah. it, it took us that time. Even with family, like there was family members that didn't know, right? And so they're still learning through our through our our journey and, and our, through our platform. But we we felt confident at the time, and a lot of it was once I had to catch up to the coping and grief acceptance. Mm-hmm. That my wife was very patient. And said, All right, we're we doing this, and she launched the Fertility and Color organization as the first. And I was finishing some school, and I was changing jobs, so there was it was a little bit of delay there. But once we came out together, it was it felt so natural. Um, it was scary. I will admit, hundred percent, I have no shame in admitting it. It was it, we had there was some fear, there was some anxiousness, there was nervousness. Um, But we felt like again we want to help people because when we went to find people that looked like us who were going through this, we couldn't. And I'm still struggling to find men who look like me from the Black and Brown community to to share openly um, or to, to even just get them to admit that they're going through something. And so I met you know a handful of men, and I'm hoping that through the women who I've encountered they can share with their spouses. And there have been some that have shared and they have reached out to me, as I said earlier, directly. But it's one of those things where we're confident in our purpose of sharing this to help other people. And again, I I go back to the stereotype where for black and brown men, it's very hard to have this conversation. And so I I know I've caught some people off guard with my openness, but I don't want to, one, come off as if it's been easy because I know it's not easy. So I don't want to set a bar where someone feels like I'll never be in that position to want to share right and so this is something that we take very delicately and we take very you know on a case-by-case basis where again we we we're i'm very careful what i share again to and we learn as we go so as i mentioned earlier my disclaimer on speaking the words conceived naturally is we just have to learn that there's so much to this infertility journey and so we're here sharing just again to help other people And, and it helps us like we feel there's, there's a, the gratification knowing that you can help somebody feel confident to process their grief and to grow. And we know how much relief it was for us to finally be like, we're at a place where we're not over this hump, right? We're not we're not at the end of our journey because we're not holding children in our arms, but we're a lot closer than we were five years ago. And so, you know what, well, we didn't ask for this, but we're here and i am not speak the best of it. And so that's what fertility and color is founded on right it's, it's it's founded from a place of grief and pain and darkness um, and we it's blossoming into something so special for us personally that you know we we couldn't have asked for a better opportunity to share and for other men I just try to reach as many, as many people in this infertility realm as possible to try to get you know my my arms out to again just to be a presence to say hey I'm here you're not alone look guys I'm there's someone that looks like you that's going through this, um, because again, you you can have all the sympathy in the world, but it's not the same when you find someone who's empathetic to your situation, who's walked through it, right? And so that's to your point earlier. That's where meeting up at a pub or, or you know playing a game, of football, where you're you're in this togetherness, that's that does wonders
0: hmm thank you so much for that and we are unfortunately we are out of time because I feel like we could keep on talking all day
1: <laughs> I'm so passionate about this I'm, I'm sorry
0: <laughs> but thank you so much I mean I feel like I've got a lot to reflect on and I'm sure many listeners will um feel the same And thank you so much for for being so open and honest and and you know it's been a long hard journey for you and I do I hope you get your rainbows um Yes, we will. I like how
1: you said rainbows. Yeah, I like it because we we don't stop in singular. We are confident.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Could you just finish by telling people where they can find and connect with you online and find out more about fertility in color?
1: Of course. So you can start off by following or checking us out at fertilityincolor.com. And that's C O L O U R for for my US US based uh, colleagues. Um, You can find there, you can find us on YouTube at Fertility in Color. Um, me directly, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Fertility in Color Men. You can also find, if, you, if you're a, a woman or a partner here, you, you can follow my wife's page, Fertility in Color. And then you can also find us on Facebook at Fertility in Color. Um, I'm going to be launching a... Hey, my wife's got a private Facebook group. Um, I'm working on launching one shortly. As well. Um, but if anyone wants to reach me directly and not go the social media route, you can either message me through our website or you can email me directly at Will, W I L L, at com.
0: Brilliant. And I will put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Will. And it's thanks been great for chatting me. with you. Likewise. <laughs> yep. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website footprintsonourhearts.com.